When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, we do live in a strange time, but there is nothing that's a surprise to you. God, we worship you. We honor you. We sing these songs, and this worship is about you. And God, we pray that as we come to hear the word, as we lift up your word, as we engage the word, and the Holy Spirit teaches us your word, that we would not only hear and understand, but we would fashion our hearts that we would obey it, that we would live according to your ways. God, uh, show us what it means to honor you in this world, especially in a time like this. We love you. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. I don't know how we got to this point, but our country and our world has become very polarizing. Everything is either hot or cold. There is no middle grounds. And it seems like for every debate or issue or problem, you have to either be on side one or side two. So for example, um, Let's take masks. When you bring up the issues of masks, people say, if you wear a mask, you're a sheep. You're part of this conspiracy, and the government's trying to control you. If you don't wear a mask, it's this other extreme where you want my grandma to die. You, you horrible person, you. And, and the, the, the opinions and thoughts ranging from all of these things, it, we live in a strange time. I want to introduce this idea that when we have these extremes, the problem and danger of that is what's called a false dichotomy. A false dichotomy is this assumption that there are only two choices, where in fact, there are more. So for example, another example, if I say, I believe in biblical marriage between a man and a woman, people who are against that, they'll say, you know, you hate LGBTQ community. If you are against biblical marriage, people say, how dare you call yourself a Christian? You don't even follow the word of God. And I wonder if that thinking is this false dichotomy that there are only these two choices. Now, there is one truth, but how we place ourselves in clusters, are you for us or against us, is a false dichotomy. And the issue with this that we see in, not only in the world but in churches, it leads to this constant division. And God has called our people, all of us, not to take sides and be divided more and more, but it's constantly to unity, to live obediently to his word, to live and represent his light into a dark world, to be salt and light. And so false dichotomies are a big problem. And so I want to share with you a quote from Rick Warren that I thought was pretty wise, and I saw variations of this. And he says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. 
The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. And true, true that, Frank Warren, because we have lived, we fell into this culture and trap that if you love me and you care about me, everything I believe, you, need, you should believe too. Or if you disagree with me, you must hate me. And so this is a false dichotomy. There are other options. And so what's interesting is in the whole Bible, there are constantly a trap or something controversial that shows false dichotomies. I want to share with you three examples, for example. And so first, this is a painting of Jesus. And in Mark 12, the religious leaders came up to Jesus and they tried to set up a trap using false dichotomy. And the question is, Jesus, should the people pay taxes to Caesar? Now, here's the obvious options. Yes, they should pay taxes to Caesar, which means the Jews, you have to obey this Roman Empire. And even though they're oppressing you, it's okay. If Jesus says, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then Jesus would be considered a criminal, and he's rebelling against the Roman Empire. So that was a trap that the religious leaders wanted Jesus to get stuck in. And here's what happens. He finds out a third way. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 17, we know Jesus' famous response that some of you who may not even go to church may have heard. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They marveled because he wasn't trapped by a false dichotomy. He said on the coin is Caesar's face. Give Caesar back what's on his face. But what's on each of us is the image of God. You give your entire being to God. Jesus found this third way. And again, in John chapter 8, there's this woman caught in adultery and the religious leaders set up a trap for him under this pretense of false dichotomy. Lord, Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says we should stone her and kill her. What do you say? So if Jesus says, let's pick up stones and stone her, and let's follow the word of God, then he would be seen as this unmerciful teacher. I thought you were about grace and mercy and kindness. How could you do this? But if he says, no, let her go, he's stuck. He's saying, don't follow the word of God. And so what does Jesus do? He doesn't fall into this trap of this or that. And in verse 7, he says, Yeah, but let him who has, the, who has no sin among you cast the first stone. And he finds this third way of keeping all that harmonized, but it doesn't fall into the trap of this or that. And you know the story. Each of the religious leaders and the crowd that picked up a stone, realizing their own sin, they dropped it one by one and left unless, until it was just Jesus and her. Let's go to the Old Testament. One more illustration. In 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, in the famous uh, title called Whose Baby Is It Anyway? There's a King Solomon who was the wisest man in all the earth at that time. And two women come up to him. One claims to uh, have smothered her baby. So she takes this other woman's baby and the two women are fighting for whose baby is this? So the woman who killed her own baby and stole the baby says, this is my baby. 
And the real mother is crying out, going, that's my baby, King, help us. And so the trap, not trap, but the issue there was, is it her? Which one is it? And Solomon thinks in a different level with his wisdom. And you, you may have heard the famous story. He says, give me a sword and cut this baby in half. Thereby triggering the genuine mother's response to say, give it to the other woman. Don't harm the baby. And Solomon, in his wisdom, knew who the real mother was. False dichotomies are tearing our country apart, tearing our families apart. You've heard the saying in Thanksgiving, what do you never talk about? Religion and politics. Why? Because it's either this or that. And we, we've allowed ourselves to be a culture and society that has accepted this, pre, this false notion that there are only two options. Well, we have this interesting story in Joshua chapter 5 today. Joshua is the new leader of Israel. They're, they cross for 40 years in the wilderness. They're about to enter the promised land, and they're about to go into Jericho. You know that song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. They walked around seven times and blew their horns, and the walls fell. Well, it was the night or a few days before that, and Joshua is worked up, and he's praying, and he's getting his people ready to go into the promised land. And, and Jericho is full of people who have dishonored. They, they're just complete barbarians. And so this is troublesome, but this is the land that God's given. And Joshua wants to honor that. So the, one night, Joshua's walking, and he sees a soldier, a radiant, glowing warrior with a sword in his hand. Now, we got to give Joshua some benefit of the doubt. If you're walking at nighttime and you see somebody with a sword drawn looking at you, you would ask this question. Are you for us or against us? And so the first thing that stands out, he's, what he's saying is, are you going to be part of this solution that we have or are you part of our problem? And he's pointing out this idea, whose side are you on? It's a valid question, but when we mix in bias, prejudice, ignorance, sinfulness, the question, whose side are you on, becomes a little bit twisted. And today, a lot of us want to know, okay, you're my friend, but whose side are you on politically? Okay, you're my friend, but with this race issue, whose side are you on, really? Well, with, with finances, with relationship, with my ex-wife, with my in-laws, whose side are you on? That becomes a problem. Because what we're trying to do is firm up my support rather than truth. Firm up my, my, where I stand, where, what, I, what I plan to do. And so Joshua is legitimately asking, with good intentions, whose side are you on? But how much worse is it when it's twisted with our own selfish motives? And so we have made it easy for the devil, the true enemy, to divide our families, our country, by thinking this question, whose side are you on? What's fascinating is he asks, whose side are you on? And verse 14, you saw the answer. The angel answers, the, the commander of the Lord's army answers. Can we read it together? And he said... No. Um, in 1990s, my cousin and I and a few friends went to Bennigan's. Do you remember Bennigan's? 1990s restaurant. It was like the TGIF of the time. And it was one of our first 
sit-in restaurant as high school kids. We're like, oh, we're, we're big shots. And so when you order like a rib sandwich or, or meatloaf, whatever, um, they always ask you, would you like soup or salad? So one day we went and the waitress asked my cousin after he ordered, would you like soup or salad? And his response was, yes. And it made all of us laugh uh, because obviously that was not an option. And in the same spirit, Joshua asks to this commander of the Lord's army, whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you against us? And the angel's answer is, no. Doesn't even make sense. What he's saying is, I'm not, un- not going to answer into that false dichotomy. There's a greater truth that you're not seeing, Joshua. And what he goes into is to say this. God's role is not to support your side. Let me say that again. God doesn't exist to support whatever side you're on. Uh, this is most glaring in sports. When we say, God's on our side, I can do all things through Christ. He's with the Dallas Cowboys. And then you got Pittsburgh Steelers fans with the same thing. No, God's on our side. How ridiculous is that, right? But in a more real sense, too, God's job is not to arbitrarily pick between sides and say, today I'll be on his side. Tomorrow I'll be on her side. Let me tell you, God is the ultimate source of good and morality. God is morality. God is the truth. So everything that is good and holy and moral is what God stands for because he can't contradict his own nature. And so the side that God's on is not to pick between kids and between countries. He's always going to choose himself and his holiness. So God was with Joshua and Israel because they have covenanted to be with God. Let me say that again. God was with Joshua and Israel because he covenanted with them to be with him. Do you know what happened just before this story in Joshua 5? In beginning verses, Joshua took a flint rock and made it into a knife. And God had him circumcise every male because this was a new generation that was born in the wilderness. And they were going to enter the promised land with God's covenant. Now, friends, there were 40-year-olds in there. 30-year-olds in there, the men around here right now, you know what I'm getting at? To be circumcised when you're an adult is not a pleasant thing. What is God doing here? I'm setting you apart for me. You haven't called me to your cause. I've called you to be my people. God unifies scattered people as we abide in him. So Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, There is one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, when we go to God, there is immediate true unity. When we abide by God's commands, there is this unity. When we ask God to be on my side, go back to this and recognize there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so even though the world tries to scatter, God brings us scattered to him through the grace of of Jesus Christ. And so he goes on, and in verse 15, the, the commander of the Lord's army says, Take off your sandals, for 
from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Now, people at home and people here, where have you heard that before? Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is a holy ground. Who did God say that to? Moses. Almost the exact same wording. And what the message here is, like Moses was called out of farming to be part of God's purpose and plan, Joshua, I've called you to my purpose, and my presence will go with you. What makes this ground holy? The presence of God makes the ground holy. So the question for us is, where is the presence of God? blessing, to seek his presence, not my agenda, not my preference, but God's holiness, God's glory, and God's story is where we need to be. This is how we align with God, and when other people align with God, we are in fellowship. So our fight has to be sanctified by the purpose and presence of God. That alone practically filters through false dichotomies. Instead of choosing a side, what is God's purpose and plan? So what is this all saying? Just a few conclusions. Humility and worship enables our heart and ears to see beyond false dichotomies. Let me say that again. Humility and worship of God helps us our hearts and our ears to understand beyond false dichotomies. Jesus did it that way. Solomon did it that way. So seeing controversial matters with humility, seeing issues with humility and worship of God, seeing cases and problems, every disagreement in the, with humility and glory of God helps us to see beyond any false dichotomies. God, what is it that I'm missing here? Um, I found this quote. I'm not sure. No one knows who said it. It's a great quote. Most people, that's how I know it's real. It doesn't say all people. Most people don't really want the truth. They just want constant reassurance that what they believe is the truth. Pastors, there's a secret that we have. People don't come to hear, what is it that God wants me to say? Most people go to church. They want to hear the pastor affirm what they already believe. The problem with that is, Sometimes God's word can smack you upside the head. God's not trying to support your thoughts. He's trying to make you see his truth. And so when we have Christians who are so-called, they want to go to church or hear messages that affirm where they are. And by the way, in the days of internet, you can look for anything and it'll support whatever you're thinking. Whatever you want to find, you'll find. That's the problem. People are like, it's true. It's on the internet. That's not true. We have to seek truth. And so what does God expect of us? What does God require of us? How are we supposed to live? And so God gives us verses like this. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. That's what God requires of us. And so this is how we see beyond. And so uh, one example illustration of how this looks is in, in the situation with Black Lives Matter and race, yes, every human being is made in the image of God. They're valued and they matter. 
But when the black people are crying out, this is what my black pastor friend really gave me a good advice at, and he preached two-week sermon on this, Pastor Ralph Miley. And he said, Jason, this is what I would ask other people to understand. And this is all he said. It's nothing profound. I mean, it's short, but it's profound. He says, a good starting point to live this out is weep with those who weep. That's the beginning. Just weep with those who weep. You don't have to debate. You don't have to say, I'm wrong. You don't have to say, but they do this. For all of us, it's just simply weep with those who weep. Homeless people, how do we solve homeless? Well, we could talk about politicians and budget, but maybe the starting point is empathize. And what is their story? It could be, it could be life fallout. It could be drug abuse. It could be hardships. Whatever it is, justice begins with this compassion to weep with those who weep. And so the final thought here is, gosh, this is so hard to do. We have elections coming up in November. How many of you are going to pray and fast for this? I hope you are, because this is going to be very, very difficult in the next few months. We're campaigning. We need to have clarity. How do we do this? We really need God's wisdom, and we need humility. And so in Joshua 5, they were asking, who is this warrior? And commentaries have two options. It was an angel. But if it was an angel, why would Joshua bow down and worship him? And so some of the people think in Joshua 5, it was Jesus Christ who came down. It was God himself. And so when we see Christ saturate every aspect of our lives, it is not our side. It is to yield to his greatness. And there was one great dichotomy that Christ shattered. You and I are sinners. And for sin, we need to be condemned and fall under the judgment of God. Or God could say, uh, scrap my laws, scrap my holiness. Uh, Everyone's okay. Which would make him evil. Because that's not what a holy God does. So what does God do in that dichotomy? Condemn them or to just ignore his holiness? And he finds a third way. Jesus Christ is the third way. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's allowing sin to be condemned in him while letting God's judgment fall. And Jesus himself is this third way. And what God is calling us, and what I'm challenging you, churches. Don't fall under the trap of this or that, but with sanctified thoughts and hearts and humility and glory for God, according to his word. The grace that we have through Jesus Christ, who was this third way to bring salvation and good news. We need the church to be sharp. We need the church to think in a way that impacts this world, not falls into this division. And some, some messes are going to be messy still. But the church needs to stand firm on the truth and make a difference to go against the flow and to stand for the God's glory. This is my prayer for us. And this is my hope that I have in Christ. There doesn't have to be just two. There could be God's way.
May you find that. Let's pray together. God, everything we have is because of you. Everything we are is because of you. We are not better than everybody else. We have just had our eyes peeled back and to see the ugliness of our hearts and our sin. But God, we've also seen the beauty and the precious gift of your son who shed his blood and died on the cross for us and rose again. God, it is too easy to go with the society and the culture to go into party A and party B. To be a Republican or Democrat, to be a liberal or conservative, to be this or that. And God, we just want to stand back and say that our identity is not in these parties, but it's in you because you have claimed us, you have restored us, and you have sanctified us. Lord, that we believe there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And through Jesus Christ, may you allow your church to become whole again because we have a lot of work to do. And may we honor you. May we fall at your feet like Joshua did. And may we simply worship you and be sent for your purpose. This we pray, hungry, excitedly, and humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.